Our world is built with stories. Sometimes these stories cause suffering by pulling us apart from ourselves and each other. The Liturgist Podcast helps people love more and suffer less by pulling apart the stories that pull us apart. Today's story, single equals unlovable. Oh boy, I can't believe I'm doing this. I feel kind of nervous. I don't know why. Anyway, here goes. Being single in the 80s and 90s in a southern uh, fundamentalist conservative church uh, nearly undid me. I felt like such a loser. All my friends were getting married, and even though I may have been considered successful by a lot of uh, societal measures, I was still basically a loser because I was failing at the most important thing. Of course, that was to find a husband and be a wife. Every single one of my very close friends is engaged or married. This has resulted in a lot of questioning my own worth. I am perpetually single, and it really has affected how I feel love, especially within my friendships. I know that wanting to feel wanted is normal across the human experience, but having always been single, I've naively set unrealistic expectations in my own mind of how a relationship completely satisfy that need. As a single person in the world today, I do feel a sense of being unlovable. Being single causes me to struggle with feeling unworthy, unattractive, broken, alone. Why not me? Or, or what's wrong with me? Why has no one ever loved me? As a single 33-year-old virgin who has never been in a long-term relationship, it's so hard for me to accept love. I've wanted it, but at times I know I've rejected it, mainly because I battle to think I'm worth it. I've pushed people away before they even have a chance and rejected love from friends and even God. I've never really been somebody who feels like they need to be in a long-term committed partnership, marriage, and I feel okay with that. But I feel like sometimes I feel a lot of judgment from people in the sense that they look at that as being like a sad way to live or that I'm just lonely or, I don't know, less than in some sense, I guess, like broken in some way. I know logically that I am still valuable and that I have a lot of love to share and that I'm worthy of being loved, but just because I know that logically doesn't mean that I always feel that way. Yeah, my singleness has created a narrative in my head that is that I must not be lovable, which I know isn't true. I think for most of my life, I've felt that there's something fundamentally wrong with who I am. Maybe there's something wrong with me. I'd be wondering if there's something wrong with me. People talk to me as if there is a missing piece in my life. The feeling of loneliness is crippling. I sometimes go to my parents or my sister, my best friend, and just ask them to tell me that they love me that there's nothing wrong with me, that I'm okay. Everybody, welcome to the Liturgist Podcast. We're here with a couple of favorites. We got Jamie Lee Finch, Key Williams, who you've heard on other podcasts of ours before. And today we're talking about the single mean you're unlovable. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> just the thought of that is he just has feelings. 
hilarious to me because no one would actually say that out loud, but I feel like it's implied in a lot of ways and how people talk to you and question you. They have all these expectations of what your life is supposed to look like. And um, a lot of them involve a, a partner, specifically a man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't always get jiggy with that. <laughs> <laughs> I started th- responding when people say things like, you're so incredible. How are you still single? My answer is like, uh-huh. honestly, it's because I'm incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, that's why. Um, it's hard out here. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, your laughter in response to him just even saying the, yeah. the phrase, like, just being single make you unlovable. It is laughable, but that's what my head understands is true. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. there are times when, a lot of times, when for whatever reason, my heart or my emotions mm-hmm. connect with that story and it becomes a convenient story in moments where I'm feeling other pain to think that that's the only reason why I'm feeling pain mm. in some way, which creates a, a second story, which is a problem, which is the idea that then having a partner would solve yeah. all of my problems or uh, I would never be lonely again. And again, I don't think people are directly saying these things, but it's definitely implied everywhere you look. Have you been impacted by these stories through the years? I grew up, you're, like, you're from the South too, so. Mid- Midwest. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's similar. Yeah. yeah. So I'm from the South and all of my friends, like most of, a lot of my friends left high school and immediately got married. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister turns 21 on Sunday and she will be getting married soon. All my other cousins are married or have a kid and I am the only one without. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a long time, everyone's like, what's wrong with you? Like, why, why, why don't you date anybody? Like, why don't you, why aren't you in a relationship? When are you going to get married? And I was like, that's just never been a priority for me. And I feel like most of my life I've had to explain that to people. When I was younger, I had a lot of insecurity about it. But the older I got, I was like, oh, this is great. You mean to tell me like I get to stay in my own space and it's peaceful. Mm -hmm. I don't have to put up with your bullshit. I have my own money. Like I don't need you for anything. And it's changed the dynamics in dating for me. Like when I became like financially independent and like created this life of my own, I'm like, oh, I don't need a man. I don't need a man or a partner. Like if I'm with somebody, it solely has to be because I want to be with them and not out of necessity. And I feel like I grew up seeing a lot of people with partners solely because of necessity. And even like in the industry working in Hollywood, I meet a lot of girls who are like dating guys solely because if they want financial independence mm-hmm. and all that. When you take that out of the equation, dating becomes super different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've done a lot to to make myself financially independent and mm-hmm. like living alone. There's definitely a feeling of even if I was with a long-term partner, I might want us to live separately because I (laughs) really love living alone. Um, Yeah. (laughs) yeah, So I think a lot of what you're saying resonates with me as well of this, like, I'm going to make sure that I can take care of myself. And when you date from that place, again, it's a complicated feeling being a woman. I was telling, I was telling Michael yesterday how often I'm told that I'm intimidating Mm, and this like, (laughs) I'm not intimidating. You're intimidated. (laughs) That's different. Yeah. I am content and happy being single and I like the life that I built for myself. But I also, it's like the longest thing I've done. I'm an expert at being single at this point. (laughs) I have so many years of experience and I would like a new role. Like that, that would be, that would be nice. But just for various reasons, like it just hasn't worked out that way. Yeah. I don't know. I just like to point out 
the concept of being single is a concept. It's mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and it's a concept that's built in this like dualistic patriarchal system of you check a box single or married mm-hmm. on a form and we so we think oh you're you're a single person we actually like believe a construct we're just human beings sitting here right mm-hmm. like i'm married mm-hmm. you're not married but these are it's funny i just i just want to point out the fact the fact that it's mm-hmm. a construct and that it's a construct built on a whole system mm-hmm. of like ownership mm-hmm. that and and patriarchy and how do how do you fit into society in the power structures that that be and in our society you are you get tax breaks if you fit into the the one column mm-hmm. you get you get all sorts of benefits and you know you get to have somebody come into your hospital room if you're sick mm-hmm. you get to have there's all sorts of ways of if you fit into the mold of what society wants you to be which is married Mm-hmm. With two point five kids or whatever, like, <laughs> and and a heterosexual yeah. cisgender yeah. white mm-hmm. man, <laughs> you know, like a white the, the, There's, a, but you know what I mean. Like, there's these there's these paths that are charted out. And like, single is a concept, and it doesn't serve a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I think the, the side of it saying if you're single in this construct and you want to get married, you know, you're single. Mm-hmm. Your singleness is beautiful. Embrace it enjoy it, live it up, the the freedoms of it. Sure, there's that whole side of things. But there's also the side of it that's just like, it's also just imaginary. There's a lot of married people that are far more lonely and mm-hmm. isolated than a lot of single people. Somebody that lives in community and has gr- a great sex yeah. life and a, connections and is super connected with, with with a world of people can still technically be single according to the, char- the forms. Mm-hmm. But single has nothing to do with how connected you are, how in love you are, mm-hmm. how how anything you are it's mm-hmm. just a concept mm-hmm. and being married or being not single in a relationship however you define it doesn't solve the issues that a lot of single people face so Single obviously doesn't equal unlovable. Is there any ways that you guys can think of that just recognizing how that insidious little story kind of creeps in and, and what you can what what we can do to see it, to recognize it and when then and then how to respond to it, how to see through it, how to uh overcome it. Yeah, I think specifically around this time like holidays it really pops up and like valentine's day and all of that and like you see all the funny memes it's like i'm gonna walk down the aisle at walmart and knock all the valentine's day shit over <laughs> and it's just like it's like yes understood but also like i'm actually i'm seeing someone i'm not in a relationship but i'm seeing someone so i'm like this is like the first time in like six years i'm going out with someone for valentine's day wow. but like Christmas, like, I didn't have a partner. Thanksgiving, when everyone was, like, bringing their partners home, I was like, oh, I'm solo. But I've become accustomed to that. Um, And I have a lot of girlfriends who are kind of in the same boat as me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would say for us, it's just, like, building, like, our own community and our own 
little things. So one of my friends this weekend is having like cocktails and cuddles and we're having like a sleepover and like drinks and like a girl's night and it's going to be like our own little shindig. And honestly, I feel like Valentine's Day isn't exclusively for couples. Like mm-hmm. I always will tell like anytime I wanted to go out, I'm like, I would just hit up my friends or anybody that I was interested in remotely. <laughs> like, hey, do you want to go out tonight? I like that energy. <laughs> that is bold. <laughs> oh, I don't care. Ah, I'm it's like, February 14th. What are you doing? You, you want to go? <laughs> Got any plans? <laughs> I remember that like that part from the office where um Kelly finally gets Ryan. To oh yeah. Do, and then he's like <laughs> I hooked up with her on February 13th. <laughs> That's bold, yeah. Keith. Yeah. I love I it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I keep this. I'm all, yeah. I'm I'm a um, advocate for shooting a shot and just going Hell after yeah. um, the things that you want. So, yeah, I feel like the answer varies for everyone. I feel like for me, I make sure I, one thing I've learned in the last couple of years is just spend time with myself. I take myself out on dates. Yes. I hang out with people that I enjoy being around. I do things that like that make me happy. I used to feel like something is wrong with you because you don't feel this you don't have this gaping hole for a partner mm. and you would rather work instead and you would rather mm. focus on your career instead. And I'm like, is there something wrong with me? Like, do I have like, like something I need to talk through? With I thing? wonder if you would be asking yourself the same question if there is something wrong with you if, if you were a man. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. just a thought. I mean, just curious. <laughs> we'll talk off one. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, I used to ask myself those questions a lot. And then I've realized like, oh, this is just what I love to do. I love being a full-time creative. I love going home and working on things and allowing myself the space to Mm. um, do those things versus feeling like, okay, you spent 16 hours at work today and now you should spend four hours trying to date on Hinge. And I'm like, I'm not about to sit on here and swipe for four fucking hours. Yeah, I was like, I just want to do the things I love and go to sleep. <laughs> so that's how I plan on living my life. Good going slogan. Forward. I just want to do the things I love and go to <laughs> sleep. <laughs> Key Williams. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you'll have a much better answer, but that's just how no, I go about my life. No, that's a great yeah. answer. And it, and it kind of fired some synapses in my brain as well of like when you said that your friend's doing a, a, a gathering for y'all called was it cocktails, cocktails and cuddles? cuddles? Yeah. Okay, physical touch. Oh yeah, for sure. Holy shit. Like Again, in this weird story, we're telling ourselves that like monogamy is compulsory, find find a partner. There's this also implied story that that person's the only person that can touch you, mm-hmm. like can actually give you like affection. And <clears throat> touch starvation is real. Mm-hmm. And I think for most of my life, the a- the ache that I felt about being single has not been that I want companionship because I've got lots of companionship. I personally don't want children. So Mm -hmm. luckily for me, I haven't had to deal with that kind of ache, but I know a lot of people who do desire children do have to deal with that ache. But what I know now is the the main longing that I felt has just been for touch. Same. I'm the exact same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 What I've done instead is I've developed friendships with very safe people mm-hmm. that I feel so comfortable just like embracing for a very long time. Like <laughs> yeah. and and I remember before I started working for myself full time and I worked in the service industry in like multiple restaurants, there was one job that I had that I loved it so much. And it was really important that I was working there when I started trauma therapy for the first time, Mm -hmm. because the people I worked with, I felt really connected to. Mm -hmm. And I knew that whenever I was scheduled to work at that restaurant, I was going to get like nine hugs that day. Yeah. And otherwise I might not be touched for 
days. Yeah. yeah. Because so I think it's 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 problematic on both sides. You have lots of touch starved, you know, again, air quote single mm-hmm. people. Um and then also you have this problem on the other end which is people in relationships assume that the only are are led to be almost forced to assume that the only people you can touch and be touched by mm-hmm. um affectionately mm-hmm. doesn't have to be romantic or sexual but just like affectionately is that one person and so i just i think if we were able to just like you're saying you kind of source your companionship and relational energy from multiple spaces mm-hmm. i think it would be really helpful if, if we had more permission in our culture to source affection oh yeah multiple sources Absolutely. as well <clears throat> and I've, i really i have i've started to like yeah. when I went on the sacred feminine retreat, there was lots of – I realized when I left, like there was just so much safe, loving touch and I felt so free to ask for it and so mm-hmm. free to just – like there was at one point, I think it was Hillary that said, you know, if you notice in your body you need anything, like feel free to ask for it. And at one point I just really wanted to be held by Lisa. And so I just went over and I, j- I was like, hey, can you just like hold me like a child essentially? <laughs> and I just like sat in between her legs and she just held me. And mm-hmm. I – every time I had this thought in my brain that, okay, this is probably too much. You're being inconvenient. Like this is weird now. I would just would shut it down and I would just stay. Mm-hmm. Like I just need to stay. Like this is okay. So mm-hmm. I think yeah. making those needs known is is really really important. I think about Jesse, Jesse McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. She knows that my love language is physical touch, mm-hmm. and so as soon as she sees me, she like gives me the biggest hug. She sits with me. She holds my hand. She rubs my back, and she's always like, "I'm gonna get all your touches in before yeah. we leave." And it's like just like a thing of just like my friend knowing me, and it's like we have this time together, and I'm gonna try to give you what I know you need. And like what you long for and like having that relationship with different people in my life. What can those of us who are married or not single do to avoid uh, perpetuating this harmful story to other people? What do we do that makes single people feel less than how can we how can we keep an eye on that for how we speak how we mm-hmm. plan events how what, what do we do that's uh that makes this worse i think one thing that i always think of when it comes to like my married friends and i don't have this problem as much as i used to but like a lot of times they will be like they will have events and things and be like oh we didn't invite you because there were going to be kids there or it was going to be like all families there and like you know and i was like okay like I'm a person but I'm also like I'm single like and just like I don't know I just feel like a lot of times single people get excluded and I feel like there is a um this idea of people when people get married or people have children they think that single people no longer want to be a part of their life and I feel like single people feel like married people no longer want to be part of their life and I feel like they're gone and like it's even like taught they're like oh, when you get married, you have to find you some married friends to hang out with. Like, you mm-hmm. can't hang out with, like, single people and, like, those relationships just start to break. And that's sad to me. Like, I feel like that's the thing that I dread the most. Like, when my friends do get married, I'm like, are you just gonna, like, leave us and, like, go get a bunch of married friends and not hang out with us solely because I'm single and I don't have a partner, you know? Um, and that happens and is a lot more common. And I know in, like, 
Christian spaces, like evangelical Christian spaces, it's taught that that's how you're supposed to transition um, into marriage and into having a family. And as a single person, it's like makes me feel shitty. I'm like, oh, so wait, if I once I get a husband and a kid, then I'm allowed to come and then I can have access to to you again. Yeah, and to yeah, yeah, I was like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Like, I'm a single person and I'm a whole person. With or without those things, and I, I don't know. I just wish more relationships uh, acknowledge that truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that again, everything you're saying resonates so much. Some of my favorite relationships are with couples, and Same. yes, I have. Yeah. I, I thought about this before about how so many people that I love who are coupled or partnered, I love my relationship with one partner like that individual energy created in our relationship with one another. And I love my relationship with the other partner and there's Mm -hmm. an individual energy there. But then there's also this third energy Mm -hmm. of like, I love like having coffee with you and Lisa yesterday together is Mm -hmm. a different dynamic than when I'm just with you and just with Lisa. And it's like, I love that entity that the two of you together create. And I can't imagine it's, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's so unfathomable. The idea that like there would be, we wouldn't be able to be in relationship with one another because this like social construct is like married people and single people aren't friends, but Mm -hmm. being given the opportunity to become friends with that entity created by Mm -hmm. people in partnership is so beautiful too. So I think just being mindful of, we do still want to be in relationship with people who are in relationships with one another and kind of with what you're saying, like, give us the, give us the option to (laughs) to say no, if we do feel uncomfortable, but we want to be invited. We want to be included. We want to be thought of. Hillary McBride has just joined us. So so now we could use some some good Hillary thoughts on like what can we do to undo this story? What can we do to witness where it rears its head and and how can we be healthier in telling better stories and and unlearning this story? Yeah. Uh classic therapist move. I'm going to pull consider yourself warmed. (laughs) I I want to talk about the thing under the thing, um, which is that pain is hard and confusing. And what we often try and do when we feel pain is make sense of it by putting a label on it or blaming ourselves or somebody else. And I think that instead of saying singleness equals I'm lovable, maybe we could say, um, a lot of us are more lonely than we wish that we were. And we've decided that singleness is the problem and somehow tells the truth about us, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so the thing under the thing maybe is what what is it like for us to be with the pain of our aloneness without saying that it means anything bad about us? What is it like to be with the pain of our disconnection or isolation, whether perceived or real, without trying to extrapolate something about our value as a human because of that. I've kind of said this indirectly, but I think that the story singleness means I'm unlovable or if I'm single, I'm unlovable really just comes from us trying to make sense of why it hurts so much to be alive Mm -hmm. sometimes. And so we blame ourselves or we blame someone else. We say I'm unlovable or they're unlovable, but uh, life is just painful. And I wonder if we got better at pain and feeling pain if we wouldn't have to tell stories that weren't true to try to make sense of pain. And I also, here's a, 
maybe another clinical skill to think about. This is something I, I talk about a lot with my patients, but something called receptive affect. It's a very specific skill to be able to take in love. And we can decide that we're not worthy of love, because even if it's not true, but in such a way that it actually stops us from taking in the compassion, the kindness, and the connection from the people around us who really do love us. And so regardless of what your relationship status is or who or how many people you are intimate with or not, all of us need to get better at doing two things. One, looking for the love that is there and two, taking it in because mm -hmm. there is proof all over the place that we are lovable regardless of our relationship status. But it's our job to practice believing that that's true about ourselves and taking that in. And it can be really easy to say like, nobody, nobody's choosing me for a relationship, so I'm unlovable. But it doesn't necessarily take us off the hook for having to learn the skill to take in the love that is there. And to be with our longings, to be with our longings in such a way that we could be tender with them and acknowledge them and not tell a story about ourselves. But it's really, really hard to take in love for ourselves, to prove to ourselves that we are lovable if, um, if we've got a really convincing story on the inside that we aren't deserving of love or that we are unlovable. So how is that for a, an indirect that's an incredible monologue. Response I feel like Shonda Rhimes would have wrote that in for Kerry Washington on Scandal. <laughs> when she's talking to her dad about why she isn't marrying the president. I love that so much. Yeah. <laughs> why she isn't marrying the president. <laughs> because he is married. Oh, my God. Wow. Just on a, because we're talking about it, like, how is it different for you to receive love and to 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 give love? Does it feel easier to do one or the other? Does it feel like receiving it confronts or bumps up against some story, uh, mm -hmm. whereas giving it feels like effortless? I mean, I'm kind of describing myself and when I say that, but I'd love to hear mm -hmm. since we're talking about receptive act affect, what what it brings up. For sure. I you. feel like for me and my childhood trauma growing up, I felt like I had to be perfect and give love and give everything I had in order to be accepted and wanted. And so that's something I did out of habit and not necessarily because I loved people. I feel like I learned how to love people deeply through doing that, but it wasn't intentional. It was like just like mm -hmm. a skill I learned. And the older I've gotten, the more intentional I've gotten about it. And the more I realized like, oh, you're fine on your own. You don't have to like strive to get anyone to love you. You know what I'm saying? And so receiving that love has always been hard. I just say probably over the last year or so, it's become like something that I have started to open myself up to receiving but it's so hard sometimes mm -hmm. i'm like no stop it like people yeah. say stuff to me i'm yeah. like you don't mean that like and you know just like shutting down like love from the jump like if somebody who i think is like amazing say they love me i'm like no you don't like you don't you don't really know me like you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. versus like opening myself open up to it like oh maybe this person does just think i'm super dope and incredible and they really do love me you know huh wow so it sounds like he, you've realized that barrier for yourself and you've actually, it sounds like started to do the work of really taking in the stuff that is there for you, that these people who've been saying all of these things 
for a long time sharing affection with you, mirroring back to you how loved you are, that it sounds like you're doing the work on the inside to actually let it go in. Yeah, yeah. Attempting to. Attempting to, yes. That's what counts, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I'm in a similar position of doing that similar internal work and recognizing Mm. that the way that I've dated or attempted to partner in romantic relationships is, I mean, the way I've tried to do that is the way I function in all other relationships. So my, there's a direct correlation between my ability to feel and receive love from my friends Mm. and from the people I'm in other types of relationships with. Um, There's a direct correlation between that and, well, let's say my inability to do that and my Mm. inability to number one, maybe find, find a partner that is capable and willing to give and number two, be able to receive that mm-hmm. because I, I notice mm. it definitely affects who I'm even drawn to and interested in. I said something, it's not a joke, but it jokingly, I said it <laughs> yes. uh, to good Michael yesterday about how, I mean, a good summary for my dating history is that I'm still trying to get my my parents to pay attention to me. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm drawn to indifference, like, mm. like a tractor beam. And I'm drawn to, uh, historically like more avoidant people Mm. because there's still Mm. that internal story of like, please choose me, please Mm. pick me, Mm. please see me. So all this to say, like I've realized in the last, you know, couple of weeks, months, uh, yeah, only in the last couple of weeks or months doing some really specific internal work about how capable I am of receiving love Mm. from my, starting with my friends, Mm -hmm. um, and recognizing do I trust them when they tell me that they love me? Am yeah. I open to hearing that? That this there's mm. historically been this massive imbalance in most of my relationships uh, between giving and receiving. And I've also noticed mm. how uncomfortable I am to just receive. Mm-hmm. Like mm. r- realizing that I've had an internal story that my my worth and value in relationships is only based upon like the effort that I can put out to take care of someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also for me, it, I started receiving love later in life, Aww. you know, like I feel like first 18, like growing up, my mom never told me she loved me mm. like ever. My dad was in my life. So I never, and even in the rest of my family, that wasn't language that we use. My sister and I say, I love you. And me and my siblings, that's something we've built within each mm. other, but nobody else really says, I love you, you know? Mm. And it's not something, yeah, it's just not something that's been ingrained with us. And it's not something I heard a lot growing up. And so when people started telling me that they loved me when I got older, or even when I was here when I was younger, and I was like, my own family doesn't love me. Of course, you don't love me, you know. Wow, and we're also yeah. always also taught that like, your family's the most unconditional love you'll ever have. And if those people <laughs> don't, uh, don't love you and don't go hard for you, then you definitely can't trust anyone else and I took that Mm. story along with me as I went about my life and I was like okay my mom never said she loved me my dad isn't here my family doesn't say I love you so clearly I am unlovable uh and took that into a lot of my dating history too so when I was young I was attracted to guys who would say that kind of stuff it was just like 15 16 it was like oh he said he loves me so you know that was like Like, the end all be all and then like growing up realizing how toxic that was to like meet a guy Mm -hmm. and like two weeks in he's like I love you and I'm like that's scary (laughs) um but like as we talked about earlier sourcing relationships with other people and sourcing the things and the love that we need from different people in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely <laughs> with being so drawn to avoidance, it's definitely not lost on me that the in my last relationship, the qualities that I thought were um 
like a like a free like he had a, a passion and a freedom to express his desire of me and he was telling me he was being very straightforward and forthcoming mm-hmm. i now realize was just possession and control yeah uh <laughs> didn't know it at the time like someone yeah. should not be that enthusiastic that quickly and that decisive they mm-hmm. should probably be a little bit more deliberating but because i had i felt like i was starved on some mm, level for so long yeah. that as soon as someone portrayed something that was adjacent to the qualities I was looking for. I didn't even stop to check if it was healthy or not. Mm-hmm. I just went with it. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, a month in, you're telling me you love me? Great. Mm-hmm. I guess I do. T- I guess that's how this feels. So mm. it didn't reveal itself mm-hmm. until later that there was definitely, again, my my tiny younger inner self was trying to get some needs met. Um, and I appreciate her resourcefulness, um, but we're going to have some conversations <laughs> about yeah, maybe right. looking for that in some other places yeah. for a little while. So, Oh, man. Such good work, Jamie. I'm so glad you can be tender with those parts. That feels like an, a constant ongoing inner dialogue for me, too. Like old parts that were trying to get their needs met then showing up now and me being like, you, you're, it's totally okay for you to be there. You can't drive the car, but I got a minivan of parts and y'all can sit in the back seats. <laughs> Do whatever You're you strapped want in. There. Whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. That's your yeah. space. <laughs> You're so good. You're so lovable. You need to not be driving yeah. the car right now. <laughs> you are not equipped to yes. drive this vehicle. Yep. That's right. <laughs> All of you are five years old. Yeah. No one should let you operate a motor Truly. vehicle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think about the the society that we're in and the paradox we feel of needing to be mirrored in a way to have our self-structure develop. Like, you know, there, there are so many research accounts of people who didn't get adequate mirroring. And so they died, right? Their brain didn't develop. We see this in, in communities where there is war and genocide and nobody is taking care of the orphans, right? These, these brains and these nervous systems don't develop. So we actually need to be mirrored and, and, connected and attuned to. And yet somehow we equate uh, if someone chooses or affirms um, us as a romantic interest with validating our worth as a human. And that's that's not the same thing, but I feel the paradox in those, which is like we're longing to be seen and known on intimate levels. But if we don't get that in the way we want, it doesn't mean that we're not lovable. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you're also just asking the wrong person, <laughs> asking the Ooh, wrong things of the wrong say more people. About that, That's something that yeah. I've learned very, 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 very recently. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like, oh, it's not that I'm undeserving of these things or it's just that you're incapable of giving to me. And that is fine. Right. And you find other people that can be that resource for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you learn to be it for yourself. Either one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a good point asking asking the wrong people to answer the questions about what is most true about us yeah Mm -hmm. and that the Mm -hmm. generosity and that compassionate perspective of it doesn't mean they're bad people they Mm -hmm. just might not Mm -hmm. have the ability to give me what it is that i need Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. they just might not have the resources it just might not be a match like they might not have the ability to provide the specific thing that i know that i need Mm -hmm. and that just means there's a incompatibility but no one I don't need to make them my enemy for some reason. Right, right, Yeah. There's an analogy that I use often in my clinical work um, that I keep coming back to about this. And and the analogy is that I, um, as someone who doesn't eat meat, we don't 
keep meat in our house. So if someone comes over and they're asking me for a steak for dinner, I, I will not and cannot provide that for them. But does that mean I don't love them? Does it mean that I'm bad? Does it mean that they're bad? No, mm-hmm. but you don't go to Hillary's house for a steak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like there are some people you don't go, you don't go to them for the thing that you feel like you're really craving to sustain you. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are people who are going to give you like a tofu burrito. Yeah. And maybe that's not what you need. <laughs> maybe you need steak. <laughs> I love it. And it's again the story is like, oh, I shouldn't have asked or this need mm-hmm. is wrong or it's bad that that I'm wanting this. And wow, I'm such a failure that I didn't get, I didn't get this thing from this person that I asked. It must mean that there's something wrong with me and my ask mm-hmm. instead of being able to pull back and just see the ask exactly like you're saying, key is just to the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And when we can control the stories that we tell about our pain, gosh, we can solve or really stop a lot of suffering before it gets started. It's really the stories that, oh man, do a number on us. I think part of the problem with being single in our culture is that we overvalue romantic love and undervalue all other kinds of love. Being single doesn't have to define us like society tells us. We can be a whole person. I don't think my story is about romantic love anymore. I don't think it's about having a family of my own either. I think it's about loving those around me and those who haven't felt platonic love and those who don't feel seen or understood. And that excites me. That gives me purpose. That makes me love myself again. There is nothing missing. love being single. I truly adore it. I'm not against being partnered or paired in the future, but I have an incredibly vibrant life that's full of intimate relationships, regardless of the fact that I'm not partnered or paired. I feel that being single has really allowed me to show and receive love to so many more people and experiences than I think I would have if I had been in a relationship. I feel like singleness has really invited me into an openness and a limitless capacity to love and to also receive love that in past relationships I never truly lived into. I really worked to curate a life that I love so much that even if I never meet someone, I will be fulfilled and happy. A bit like Joe March and Little Women. I want to celebrate who I am, what I have right now, because I don't have control over the rest of it. I had an important insight not too long ago that's profoundly sort of world-altering for me. It was after a breakup that was really difficult. I remember saying out loud, I already have all the love that I need. I have all the love that I need. And it was such a tremendous aha to me that there was more than enough in the people around me, people who have my back, people who come when I call, people who I get to pour into, children, that I get to watch and help grow with their parents. And whether I got married or not was beside the point because I already have all the love that I need. Well, thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to discuss any of the topics here, we meet every Sunday online as a liturgist community. 
It's called The Sunday Thing, and if you're interested in joining that, just go to theliturgists.com and click join us. We'd love to have you. This week's episode was edited by Tejas Leerheiden and myself. Special thank you to all of you who sent in your voicemails, your stories. We really appreciate you doing that. And of course, to Key Williams, Jamie Lee Finch, Hillary McBride, and our patrons, thank you for making what we do possible. All the love. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>